Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church, where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. But how do you know that the book of Exodus is the second, second book in the Bible, first one talking about in the beginning, the second book. You might think, well, it is just a departure. That's the meaning of the word Exodus. And, but that is in the Greek, that is in the Latin, and that is in the English. But the real meaning of the book of Exodus and the word Exodus comes from the Hebrew language. How many of you know our Bible was written in the Hebrew? God wants those chains gone from you. He wants you to depart. But in the Hebrew, it's a whole different word. And it means this in the Torah. It means shmot. I hope I'm saying that right for those who are Jewish. It's S-H apostrophe M-O-T. Shmot, shmot. But it refers to names, which is found in the very first chapter of the book of Exodus. And today we're going to be taking you on a little journey. The uh, storyteller of the family is back. I love the stories in the Bible. I'm sorry. I, well, I don't apologize. I love the stories in the Bible. I love to preach the stories. I love to tell the stories. I like to read the stories. So bear with me today. We're going on a journey through the first part of the book of Exodus, okay? And I believe by the end of today, God's going to do something in you that he did in me and he's done for our church. But I believe God is going to change your circumstances around. Amen. He's going to bring deliverance to you, but I believe that God is here today. He's here today. He's in our midst today. He said, I inhabit the praises of my people. And when you praise him, no matter what you're going through, he will bring deliverance because he loves you and he wants to bless you today. Tell somebody he wants to bless you today. So when we go back to that crazy word, schmutt, Shmot? I don't know. I should have called up my Jewish friend and asked him, well, how do you say that correctly? But it means names, which are found in the very first chapter in the very first book of Exodus. It says these were the names of the sons. Names are important. What you name your children, what your name is, is very important. It says these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each one with his family, there were 12 tribes. There was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Nasher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. And Joseph was already in Egypt. You see, Joseph and all of his brothers and all of that generation had died. How many you know that Joseph had been second in command to the Pharaoh of Egypt? He had been second in command. This guy had been, had been gone through the ringer with his family. His brothers take him out. They're jealous. They put him in a pit. He goes from that to they take him and somebody, they sell him. He's sold into slavery, and then he, he's put into a prison, and, in, and then he goes from the prison to the palace. I mean, he went on quite a journey. And we see that there was a new pharaoh that arrived on the scene, and they didn't know who Joseph was. King Pharaoh did not know the whole history behind this man. And he starts seeing in the land of Egypt that there were a lot of Hebrews. They were so numerous. They kept populating. And so he's looking around. He's going, huh, 
these guys are becoming so numerous in here that if we should go to war, then they might go to war against us, and then they'll leave us, and we'll have nobody to do the work in the land. So he didn't fear God. He didn't know God. So what he did was he put Egyptian taskmasters over all the Hebrew people. The men had to go out and do hard labor in the fields, and they had to work very hard and, and, and toil all day long. And so we see that after that, they kept populating in spite of it. And so he went to the Hebrew midwives, and he said to them, he said, now, when these Hebrew women give birth to the babies, and if they have a boy, we want you to kill him, but every girl can live. Well, the Hebrew midwives, they feared God, and they weren't about to let that happen. So they kept populating, and he sees that they haven't obeyed him. So he goes back to them. He says, why have you done this? Why haven't you listened? And why did you let those boys live? And the midwives, they answered Pharaoh, and they said, well, the, the Hebrew women, are, they're not like the Egyptian women. He says, boy, when they're in childbirth, he says, they, they, it goes fast before we can even get there. <laughs> but in spite of it, in spite of it, God was kind to them because they feared him, and they were not about to see baby boys being killed. They were not going to have murder on their hands. So God was very kind to those midwives, gave them their own families and their own children because of that. But the Pharaoh gave an order to all of his people, and he said, every boy that's born you've got to throw into the Nile, but you can let every girl live. Well, there was a man out of the house of Levite, and he married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months until she couldn't hide him any longer. And so she made this little basket, and she, she put a covering in it, and she put her little baby boy in it. And his older sister Miriam went out into the Nile River with this little basket, and as it was going down the river, and she's following it, we see that the Pharaoh's daughter came out with all of her attendants. She was coming for her daily bath. And all of a sudden, she sees this little basket there. And she, she opens it up, and she sees a baby boy. She's going, must be one of those little, one of those little Hebrew babies. And she saw he was crying, and she felt sorry for him. So she says, I, I want this baby. But Miriam was standing behind. She says, would you like me to go get one of, the, one of the Hebrew women to nurse your child for you? And she said, yes, I would, and, and I'll pay you for it. So she takes baby back to his mother and got to spend time with his mother until he got a little older. And then the mother brought him back to the princess the Pharaoh's daughter. And when he brought him back, she named him Moses. Moses, which meant he was drawn out of the water. You see, we talk about the book of Exodus and the names. Names are important. You see, not only was he drawn out of the water, but that name Moses also meant he was about to draw people out of their 
situation, out of their hardship, and he didn't even know it yet. So, one day Moses, he's in the palace, and he's walking around, and he goes out there, and he sees an Egyptian beating one of his Hebrew brothers. Now, at this time, I don't even know if the people knew that he was a Hebrew. I don't know if she ever made it known. It didn't say at the point in the second chapter of, of Exodus, but he sees him beating on him. So he glances one way, then he looks the other way, thinking nobody's going to see him. And he went and he killed that Egyptian. And then he hid him in the sand. And after that, the next day, he goes out. Now he's seeing two of his Hebrew brothers fighting against each other. And he goes, why, why are you doing that to him? He said, the one that was in the wrong, that was hurting the other one, he said, well, who made you judge over us? Who made you judge over us? Are you going to do to me what you did to that Egyptian yesterday? Oh, now he got found out because somebody did see him. So now he was afraid for his life because he knew that if he went back to the palace, then Pharaoh would find out and he'd want to kill him for killing one of his Egyptians. So he left. And he went to a country named Midian. And there he found... He was, went down by the well, and, and uh, he was going to get some water, and he sees these seven gals. Hmm. Maybe some hot-looking girls. He was going to help out of their situation because they came down to get water out of the well and to feed their flock. But then there's some shepherds came along, and they were causing trouble, so he got rid of them. And then he says, let me do it. So he draws the water from the well, and then he goes, and then he takes and feeds all the flock. And they went home and told Daddy, and why didn't you bring this guy home, girls? I mean, I got seven of you. Who knows? Maybe one of them could have you as a husband or as a wife. Whatever. As a husband. And uh, so they went and got him. He came home, had dinner with them. He ended up staying there, and he ended up tending this man's flock. His name was Jethro. And, uh, of course... Time went by, and he did get one of the girls, Zipporah. And then he had a son named Gershom, which meant that I have become an alien in a foreign land. Well, during that whole long period of time, the king of Israel, or Egypt, I'm sorry, had died, and the Israelites were groaning in their slavery, and they cried out, and their cry for help came because of what had happened to them. And God heard, it's very important that you hear this today, God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked on the Israelites, and he was very concerned about them. Now we get to chapter 3, and they can put this up, and we're going to read some of this together. It said, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, which was the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the, the bush was on fire, but it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange thing. Why does this bush not burn up? And when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses answered, Here am I. 
He said, don't come any closer. You take off your sandals. For the place where you live or where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God, the father of God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. And at this time, Moses began to hide his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen. Now listen to this verse very carefully. God said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I want you to know today that God has seen the misery of what some of you have been going through. He has seen the hurt that you've been through. He has seen the destruction in your families. He has seen your misery. Not only that, he said, but I heard them crying. I heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I want you to know today that God has heard your cry. He hasn't forgotten you. He's heard your cry. And he said, and I am concerned about their suffering. I want you to know today God's concerned about your suffering. He said, so I've come down to what? Oh, that's not very good. Come on, you've got to help me out here. Exactly. How many of you know God wants to rescue you out of your situation? He said, so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzarites, Hivites, Jebusites, and all those otherites. <laughs> There's too manyites. He says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. He said, so now go. I'm sending you, Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But you know what? Moses didn't understand his calling. Moses really didn't understand what his name meant. Because Moses started giving God five excuses as to why he couldn't do what God asked him to do. Have you ever been there and done that? God ever talked to you and told you, I want you to do this, and you go, I can't, I can't. God hates those words, I can't. He wants us to be obedient. So here was excuse number one. Moses said to God, well, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God responded back and said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it's I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Excuse number two. Moses said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them that the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? What am I supposed to tell them? God said to Moses, you tell them I am that I am. I am who I am and I am has sent me to you. Well, then God also said to Moses, well, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you, and this is my name forever, the name by which I'm to be remembered from generation to generation. He said, now go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you. I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have what? Uh, uh, come on, now come on, church. Okay, 
You're probably listening and not reading, right? <laughs> he says, I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Prezerites, Hivites, Jebusites, and all those other ites. I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. He said, the elders of Israel, they're going to listen to you, and then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I'm going to stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And then after that, he's going to let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward these people so that when you leave, you're not going empty-handed. Hallelujah. You get a bonus on top. I'm going to deliver you, and then you're not going to leave empty-handed. He said, every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver, gold, and for clothing, which she's going to put on her sons and daughters, and you're going to plunder those Egyptians. Praise God. What a promise. Well, now we get to chapter 4, excuse number 3. He said, first of all, who am I? And who do I tell the people you are? Now he says this. He says, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord didn't appear to you. You ever had that happen? When you've gone to someone and the Lord said, Lord told me to tell you this? And, well, who's the Lord? The Lord didn't tell you that. That was just you. I've had people say that to me. And then the Lord said, well, what's that in your hand, Moses? He said, I got a staff. And the Lord said, well, throw it down on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. And he ran away from it. And then the Lord said, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So he reached down, and he took it by the tail, and it turned back into a staff. This, said the Lord, is so that they might believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, now put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside the cloak. He says, now take it out. And when he took it out, it was all leprous, all white, like snow. He said, now put it back in your coat. So he put it back into his coat. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And then the Lord says, now if they don't believe you with the first miracle, maybe they'll believe the second miracle. But if they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, then you take some water from the Nile River and you pour it on the dry ground. And the water you take from the river is going to become blood all over the ground. And Moses said to the Lord, excuse number four, Oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past and neither since you've spoken by your servant. I, I'm, I'm s s slow of speech and tongue. I can't speak. I can't do it, Lord. You know what the Lord said to him? He said, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now you go, and I will help you speak and teach you what to say. Then Moses said, excuse number five. This did not go over well with God. Oh, Lord, please send somebody else to do it. Anybody ever done that? Oh, Lord, please send somebody else. I can't do it. I remember 
when I came to this church 45 years ago. I'd been music director at another church with my husband, only he was my boyfriend for three years there. I was music director there, and then we came here. Pastor Woody, we called him Papa Woody. Sister Edith wanted me to be the music director and wanted him to, uh, to be his right-hand man, and after we did, we left the other church, we felt called of God to come here and to help serve them. And uh, ever since I was born, I was such a shy, shy person, so introverted, afraid to speak. But I felt secure in the platform every time I got up to lead the music. And, and, and for those of you who don't know this, I was our music director for 27 years in this church. I led the band, the choir, the, the praise team. I, I wrote the dramas, and, and we even was in the dramas with them, you know, and, and oversaw the dance. I mean, I did it all. I was there faithful every single week. And the only thing I didn't want to do was to speak. I just wanted to sing and play and minister. I didn't want to speak. We got married in 1979, and, and about, six month, about six months after we had come to Abundant Life, and um, my husband decides now, my new husband, he's like, I want you to get up and speak. On Sunday nights, after you finish the music, I want you to speak not as the minister music. I want you to speak as a pastor's wife. No, God, no, I can't do this. So I said, okay. Well, I went home, and after Sunday morning church, and we usually take our nap, and I'm laying in bed, and I'm fretting about it. I'm going, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? I can't speak because I was so shy. People didn't understand that, that when I stepped off this platform on a Sunday that I went back to being shy. It wasn't easy for me to come up to you and shake your hand and say, hi, I'm a, at the time they called me, Sister Kathy, what's your name? That wasn't easy for me. I had to make an effort to do that. And people thought she's stuck up. Was that any of you in this room? But they thought something was wrong. But it wasn't. It's because I was shy. I was introverted. My husband was the outgoing one, the decisive one, the leader, the visionary. And me, I was the creative one, a little indecisive and very shy. Okay? People didn't understand that. I had to make a decision to change. So now going back, my husband's asking me, I want you to step up there on Sunday night. So I'm fretting all afternoon, right? Finally, he gets up from his nap. I says, what do you want me to say? He said, say whatever's on your heart. I said, nothing's on my heart. <laughs> Leave me alone. Well, he made me do it for about two months, and he knew it was pulling teeth, and he stopped asking me. Until one day, and that's a whole nother sermon, but God called me. After 27 years of running the music department, God said, it's time for you to step into a new role and turn your music department over. What? So I did. I turned it over to a young gal that was in our church, Tiffany Holmes at the time, and then she got married. And when I, I remember when I met with her in a back room in the old building, I said, Tiffany, I've raised you up. You've, you've, been, in, you've, you've been praising the Lord, and you've been, you've been taking over some of my duties. I said, I really feel that you're the one to take it. I said, do you feel that you would want to take that responsibility on and carry on? what I've started. And she looked at me and she said, yes. And the moment she said yes, I literally, and I didn't even tell her this at the time, but I felt a mantle 
come upon me. I felt a mantle to be able to speak. And every time since then when I had stepped out to speak, I felt this mantle, I felt this authority that it was different from the anointing that I felt when I was playing and singing. Not that it's better, it's just different. Just different, you understand what I'm saying? And so I changed my words that I can't do this anymore to I can. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, that's my five words. I can, therefore I will. And so I went to speaking and, and preaching after that. And still writing music and still singing and praising the Lord, but the Lord had g given me a courage to be able to stand up here and not to be afraid. And so I was giving God my excuses why I couldn't do it, but then he changed everything around, just like Moses. And he said, then the Lord was a little bit angry with Moses because he said, well, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. And in verse 15, it said in chapter 4, you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I'll help both of you speak and teach you what to do. He'll speak to the people for you, and it'll be as if it were your mouth and as if it was God to him. He says, but now take this staff in your hand so that you can perform all those miracles. Well, he goes back to his father-in-law, and he says, now I have to go back to my people in Egypt. And so he blessed them, and they, he and his family went on their way. And... Um, then we see that uh, he had gone uh, to see the, the foreman, the Israelite foreman that were over the slaves, and they were being so oppressed because he had gone to the king of Egypt, and the king of Egypt started saying to him, why are you taking the people away from their work? He says, I need you, Pharaoh, to let my people go. And he said he's not, he wouldn't do it. In fact, he increased their work to be double. And so when the, the foreman realized that they were in trouble, when they were told, you're not to reduce any of the number of the bricks that you're making, because they were making cities, stores for the cities there at the time, they required them to keep the same amount of bricks being done every day, only they were having to do double work on the same day. And when they left the Pharaoh, they found Moses and they found Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said... May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You've made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials, and you've put a sword in their hand to kill us. But Moses said to the Lord, Lord, why did you bring me to Egypt for this, to these people and bring trouble upon these people? Is this why you sent me? He says, ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on the people, and you have not even rescued them at all. Oh, have you ever blamed God because he didn't answer your prayer when you asked for it right then and there? How do you know God's got a timetable for things? And he's going to do things for your good, and he is going to answer your prayer. But you get a little antsy when you pray because you want him to do it right now, God. You haven't rescued me. Anybody ever done that? Any honest people in here? Uh-huh. You got bitter and upset with God because you didn't get your prayer answered when you wanted it to? The Lord spoke back to Moses and he said this. He says, now you're going to see in chapter 6 what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. And because of my mighty hand, he's going to drive them out of his country. And he said to Moses, he says, I am the Lord. I did appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. He says, but by my name, the Lord, 
or which means El Shaddai. El Shaddai. He said, I didn't make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard their groaning whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I've remembered my covenant. Now he said, you go to the Israelites and you tell them, I'm going to bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'm going to free you from being slaves. I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment, and I'm going to take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'm going to bring you to that land that I promised you. I'm going to give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So he went back to the Israelites. They didn't listen to him. Why? Because they were so discouraged. And they had gone through such cruel bondage. Ever been so discouraged that you couldn't believe that God wanted to do a miracle for you? Ever wondered if God was going to get you out of trouble? And wondering how he was going to do it? But because of the discouragement and the bitterness that you went through, you couldn't see God's mighty hand? Well, I mean, God is a God of miracles. He is El Shaddai, and he is more than enough today. He is Jehovah Nisi. He is your banner of victory today. So after he told them and they were not responding, they were not listening to Moses, he said, now you go tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. And Moses said to the Lord, well, if the Israelites won't listen to me, why would Pharaoh even listen to me since I have these faltering lips? You know, I stammer, I can't speak, I'm slow. But he sent them out, and they went, and we see we get to chapter 7 that the Lord spoke to Moses in verse 1. He said, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron's going to be your prophet, and you're going to say everything I command you. You and your brother Aaron are to tell Pharaoh to let those Israelites go out of the country. But he says, I'm going to harden his heart, and, and I'm going to multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, and he's not going to listen to you. Then I'm going to lay my hand on Egypt. And with mighty acts of judgment, I'm going to bring out my divisions, my Hebrew people. I'm going to bring them out of the land. And the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring them out of it. So they did exactly what God told them to do. You see, obedience is better than sacrifice. He could have left them there and says, I can't do this, God. Let's leave them there. After all the years they had suffered this cruel punishment, being slaves. But he didn't. He obeyed God. You know when he obeyed God? He was 80 years old. Oh, you know that scripture that's been on the, on the screen for Driven? I'm as strong as the day I started. 80 years old, and his brother Aaron was 83. That's two old guys almost starting their ministry. You see, you're never too old and you're never too young. You could be eight years old. I was eight years old when I started singing in church. And I'll still be singing and preaching when I'm 80 years old. Getting close, but... <laughs> Well, i got a few years here. And you never ask a woman her age. I was down at a pool one day, and these little Jewish boys were asking me, how old are you? 
They call me their Ashkenazi grandma. I'm the grandma who's a friend. I'm not Jewish, but I'm their friend. I've been their best friend all summer this year because my husband, my husband and I lease a place and we go and stay for several months. And I'm the Ashkenazi, you know. And then one day they were asking Ashkenazi, uh, how old are you? <laughs> and there was another Jewish guy down there. It wasn't their dad. And he's going, hey, you never ask a woman her age. That's one thing you better learn, boys. Don't ever ask them their age. Well, he started his ministry then. They went before Pharaoh, and we see that Pharaoh's heart was hardened throughout the next several chapters. He, got, he had ten different plagues that came upon the Egyptians because of the hardness of his heart. And we're going to briefly go through this. First, there was a plague of the blood. Remember when he said, if they don't listen to the two signs? And he says, then you go down to the Nile River and you wait for Pharaoh to come. And when he comes, you take that staff and you strike the water. And it's going to turn to blood. And that's exactly what happened. He went down there and says, let my people go. And he's like, nope, I don't know your God. I'm not letting them go. So he struck the water. Everything turned to blood. And after seven days of this, then the Lord spoke to Moses. He says, now, you go back and say, let my people go so that they might worship me. And if they refuse to let them go, I'm going to plague the whole country with frogs. Frogs that goo. I came home one day a few years ago, frogs all over my driveway, trying to get into my garage when I opened that uh, garage door. Ooh, they were nasty, nasty. Frogs were plagued all over the whole country. They came and because he wouldn't listen. His heart was hardened. So after the plague of the frogs, they all died because he asked him, he, he called, he'd summoned Moses and Aaron back in and said, stop this with the frogs. And so Moses prayed. All the frogs died. They died right wherever they were at. I mean, they were in the palace, in their beds. They were everywhere. And the whole country reeked of them. Well, then his heart became hardened again. And so God says this. He said, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust is going to become gnats. So that's exactly what he did because his heart was hardened. So he struck around, gnats everywhere. Pharaoh couldn't stand it, calls him back in. Get rid of these gnats. So he goes out, prays to the Lord, the gnats go away. But then he's, his heart was hardened. But the magicians who had seen him perform those first miracles, and they could do a couple things too. They could throw down their staff and it would turn to a snake. But only the thing is, is uh, Moses' staff ate their, ate their snakes with his when he threw it down. You know, but when they got to this one, he says, now, Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. We can't do this. Then God brought another plague upon them because they refused to listen to him. And that was flies, flies everywhere, in everything. Pharaoh couldn't stand it, calls them back, pray to your God, tell him to stop this. And they say, well, you need to let my people go. But he hardened his heart. Then God brought a plague on the livestock of all of the Egyptians. And many of them died, and many of them were sick. Of course, then he sent out spies to the Hebrew camps. And guess what? Every one of them were spared. None of theirs got the plague and died. And uh, so then we see there was one more plague. There was a plague of boils. 
So then the Lord said to Moses, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and you go to Pharaoh and you toss it up into the air. And when it comes down, it's going to make boils come all over the people and on the animals. If he won't let my people go. Well, his heart was hardened. So that's what happened. Took that soot, threw it up in the air, and they all became full of boils all over them and sores all over their body. But his heart was hardened and he wouldn't listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said to Moses. Then there came another plague because the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning. You confront Pharaoh and you say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, you let my people go that they might worship me. For this time, I'm going to send my full force of judgment and plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you'll know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I raised you up, Pharaoh. I've raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name, my name, my name, El Shaddai, my name would be proclaimed in all the earth. So, he didn't listen. Guess what happened? He had, the, he had warned the people, and all the Hebrew people, you better get inside. Bring all your, your cattle, all your sheep, all your animals in under shelter because this hailstorm is about to hit. So all of them secured all their animals and all the people, they were inside. The hail came, wiped out many of the animals and anybody that was not, had not taken cover. So, we get to another plague, a plague of locusts. Wow, it was funny. As I was reading this, <laughs> God, God, God had said that he was going to send the plagues if Pharaoh had hardened his heart, which he did. He sends the locusts. And I'm reading about it, right? I'm studying this week. All of a sudden, on my door, my sliding glass door, I see this great big locust, grasshopper. Now, I'm picturing because when he talks about when he sent the locusts, they were covering the whole earth in Egypt, the whole ground. I mean, can you imagine all these green things everywhere? They were eating every plant, every bit of the trees. Any kind of food that was left, they were eating the whole thing. And then I'm, look, I'm reading this and I'm going, where did that come from? And I thought at first that he was inside because I had my sliding glass door open. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go over, no, he's outside. And I'm, I'm hitting my window, like, get out of here. Get out of here, you know? He wouldn't leave. He wouldn't move. He wouldn't budge. It was as if he was staring me in the eyes. I'm coming in. I'm going to eat your fruit, your plants. I'm going to eat whatever you've got. I went out there. I said, you're not coming to my dwelling. It was just funny how the timing of that was as I was reading that because I've never had that happen before. I've never seen one of those great big, this, this big, come to my house. But I let him know who was God. <laughs> El Shaddai showed up. Then after that, we had a, a, another plague that they had, a plague of darkness. Darkness. Because he hardened his heart against God. He was trying to negotiate with, with uh, Moses. He'd say, well, who, who's going to go out and go worship in the desert? He says, well, I need to take the men, the women, and the animals. No, you're not taking the men. I'll, just the men can go. 
No, that's not how it works. That's not what God told us. So he'd harden his heart. Well, it came to the point where he said, okay, I'm bringing darkness upon the earth. And they will not be able to see anything in front of them. And for three days, they literally could not see. But guess who had light in their camp? All the Hebrews had light. They could see everything, and they could continue to work and do whatever they needed to do. And then came that final plague. It was the plague of the firstborn. And God had said to Moses in chapter 11, he says, I'm going to bring one more plague on, on Pharaoh and on Egypt, and after that, he's going to let you go from here, and when he does, he's going to drive you out completely. So you tell the people that men and women alike are to go ask their neighbors for those articles of silver and and gold, and all the clothes to put on their kids, because he said the Egyptians would be favorable toward them. And Moses himself at this point was even becoming highly regarded by, by uh, Pharaoh's officials and by the people. And Moses said, this is what the Lord says about midnight, I am going to go throughout Egypt and every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh to the, who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who's at her hand mill. And all the firstborn of the cattle as well, as well because there will be loud wailing tonight throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be. But among the Israelites, not even a dog will bark at any man or animal. And then you'll know that I'm the Lord who makes a distinction between Egypt and between Israel. Well, after that, he said, all the officials of yours are going to come to me, and they're going to bow down before me, saying, go, and all the people will follow you, and after that, I will leave. So then Moses was hot with anger. He left Pharaoh, and the, the Lord said to Moses, now Pharaoh's going to refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders might be multiplied to you, and performed before Pharaoh. But the Lord had hardened his heart because he wouldn't let the people go. So then came that day that, that so many people celebrate, the Passover. He told them what to do to get ready for that night at midnight, that they were to take their sheep, a lamb, and they were to, to, to slaughter it, and then they were, to, they were to roast it, and they were to gather their families in their homes, and they were to take the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the sides of their homes. And he says, now you sit there, and after it's been roasted, you eat that lamb. Don't leave a bite of it. You eat it all night long with all of your family. And he says, at midnight, I'm going to come through the streets. How many of you remember seeing that in the Ten Commandments? You see that death angel sweeping through the streets? How many of you watched that movie? I love that movie. It's probably one of my favorite movies. You know, and you see the death angel, and then you hear the cries coming out. And every Egyptian, the firstborn of every Egyptian in their households was killed. Every animal that was a firstborn was killed. It was a night, a horrible night, because one man wouldn't listen to God. Oh, it pays to be obedient. It pays to listen to the Lord. But he didn't. He killed his own people just because he hardened his heart. And then he summoned Moses that night. Come, Moses. He said, you get up and you get out of my country. Take your people and you go worship God. So he did. Man, they plundered the Egyptians that night. They said, hurry up and get out of here so that nothing worse happens to us. Our country's in ruins. It's a mess. Take your people and go. So they all went. And they went a different route. God wanted to lead them out of Egypt a different way. He didn't want to lead them through a camp with the Philistines because the Philistines would have had war on them. Instead, he took them through a different route down to a desert. 
and then had them camp down there. And you see, as they were walking everything, they had the pillar of, of, of cloud by day to keep them not so hot out there so that they could all walk, 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 walk. And then he had also at nighttime a pillar of fire that went before them. And they could see at nighttime so they could go day or night. But now they get down in the desert by the sea, and now we're, they're trapped. And all of a sudden, they see people marching. They see the Egyptians marching down. Why? Because somebody went and told the Pharaoh that these people have all left. They've left us. Even though he told them to go, he says, they've left us. Well, then what did Pharaoh do? He got all of his 600 chariots and chariots from the other countries, and he got them all together and all his top officials, and he said, now, this is what you're to do. You're to go down there, and you're to pursue after them. We're going to kill them for leaving us, because who's going to work the land now? He didn't want the Egyptians to work in the land. He changed his mind. He sinned. Liar, liar, pants on fire. He sinned. But they came down after him. The, Egyptian, the Israelites look up, and they see them coming down. They're marching, and they're in their chariots. And they're like, did you bring us out of Egypt for this so that we could just die in the desert, Moses? Now, after all the miracles they had just seen with all those ten plagues that had come upon the Egyptians, they still, even the Israelites didn't believe God. You left us out here to die? We've got a sea here. We can't cross the sea. We've got no place. We're hemmed in. We've got no place to go. So here they come. They're marching. But God spoke to Moses. He said, go up on that mountain. He said, you raise that staff that I gave you. He said, and I am going to part the sea, and I, we're going to build a wall so that all of your people can go through on dry ground. And all night, I still see Charlton Heston up there on that mountain, that white beard flowing, because he was 80-some years old. He got that long white beard and the hair blowing back as God parted the waters and brought them through on dry ground. Once they got to the other side, these Egyptians, they're coming through. And they're getting confused. They're in, the, they're in the dry ground with that walls of water still up there. And the wheels start coming off the chariots. And then all of a sudden, God says, raise that staff again over the water. And as they did, all the water whew, came back. Every one of them died. Everyone, every horse, every man, every official had died. And the next morning, all they saw, all they saw was dead bodies lying along the shore. You might say, ooh, what a gruesome story. Gnats, flies, frogs, blood. But you need to hear the story. We get on our iPhones and we don't go back and read the stories. We just try to grab a verse here and there because, you know, this gospel is almost, this book is almost becoming obsolete right? I mean, I've preached out of this so much. This, I mean, look at my Bible. It's torn, tattered. But I love my word. And I can't get on my iPhone when I get in here, when I pick this up and read it at home. And our children need to hear the stories. They need to hear God's story of deliverance for the from the Egyptians. They need to hear it. And we need to celebrate what God has done. Praise the Lord. Well, we're at the last part of this story. And then I'm going to tell you another story, a cool story, of what God did.
we get to the end. We get to chapter 15. And chapter 15 was, you know what? The first recorded song in the, book of the, in, the, in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, the first recorded song, it was the song of Moses and the song of Miriam. She got her tambourine out, and they begin to rehearse and sing the entire story of what had happened. And uh, I thought, what a shame. They waited till after the miracle to take place to sing their song. You got to learn to sing a little louder before you see the miracle. The Bible says in the New Testament, when you make your petitions known before God, you do it with thanksgiving. You start thanking the Lord before you even see the miracle done. Time and time again, when I'd been sick in my body, I had to praise the Lord and, and thank him for the miracle. Thank him and praise him while I was going through cancer in 2004. I said every week I'm not on chemo. I will be up here praising and singing, and this people will know that my God will heal me. And they'll remember that for years to come so that if they get cancer or some disease, they, they know that this gal sang her way through and led the congregation before she ever saw the miracle. Why? Because everybody in my family had died, and I was not about to be another statistic in my family. You got to know that God has called you. He's called you for a purpose, and he's not going to leave you in your mess. But you're going to stay in your mess if you don't learn to praise him in spite of how you feel. They sang that song. There was great deliverance brought. Well, I want to share something with you that happened about 40-some years ago. When we first came to 1500 State Road 7, we had, we had uh, a, a strip mall. Many of you maybe were in it at the time, years ago. Anybody was back in the first building we were in? Let me see your hands. Yeah. Okay. One by one, we began renting the stores. We had a, we had a deli in there. We had a, a, a motorcycle shop in there. We had a thrift shop in there. And one by one, as we could afford it, we got more people. The church began to grow numerous, just like those Hebrews. They began to grow numerous in the first couple years to the point we had the, the end of the... Um, the last few bays closer to State Road 7 that we were able to use for our worship service. We started in one store. One store. One store. Little store. I came and ministered there one night and uh, with Pastor Woody and Sister Ethan. I mean, everybody from the deli came that day, a whole family, the Nystrom family. They all got saved. They all got saved and started coming to our church. They joined my choir. When we went down to the other end and started taking over the stores. But there was one storefront up top. And that was a city of Margate that they, that they leased out. It wasn't the mayor and the commissioners. It was a storefront for the other workers that worked within the city that would come down and do all the inspections and things. Okay. So, those first couple years, we had put three crosses up facing State Road 7. Three crosses. We'd go out and have our sunrise services and play and sing out there, and they'd bring the word, and then we'd come in and have our Easter services. Well, one day, that uh, one of the city officials came down. He, he didn't like us. He didn't like us. He wanted us gone, this church, in this shopping center. <laughs> he comes down. He, he spoke to Pastor Woody. He says, uh, I want those crosses down today. 
Pastor Woody looks at him and he goes, those crosses are not coming down. And he looks back at him and he says, well, over my dead body, are they staying up? I'm sorry to say that two days later, he died of a massive heart attack. Yeah, wow. He came against the man of God who had instructed him to put those crosses up. Right after that, we started going through another situation. To this day, I can't remember exactly what it was. But it was a big thing. We had to go to the city of Margate. And we had to go before the mayor. And we had to go before uh, uh, the commissioners there. And they didn't like us. Back in the day, they didn't like us. They just thought we were a fly-by-night church. And uh, they didn't want us there. And they weren't going to give us what we needed. Whatever it was, I can't remember. You know, when you get older. <laughs> we've had so many things go on through the years. Different fights that we fought, but we've always won the victory. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But I remember my brother-in-law was going before the city a lot, and they didn't like him. They didn't like our church. They were not voting for us. So uh, we were going to have a meeting on a Monday night, and I was supposed to leave for a music conference the week before in Texas. And um, I was going to be gone like three days and come back Saturday night and then leave the music on Sunday. So I uh, went to this music conference, and the last night there, there was a woman that was speaking, and she began to share a story about a king who was a godly man. He was a king in Judah that was a very godly man. And this man would appoint people to be over um, the people. They would appoint, like, Levites to, to settle disputes and stuff, but they were to do it according to the law and not just, you know just give their own wisdom. They would do it according to the law. And then he would appoint people to be singers and all this stuff. So all of a sudden, somebody came to him and says, you know what? There's some Moabites, Menuhites, Ammonites that are coming to make war on you and to make war on this country. Now, because he was a godly man, he says, we're going to proclaim a fast throughout the land of Judah. Everybody's to fast and to pray. And then he assembled everybody together. And had them, told them what was happening. And he stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard, and he said this. And this is chapter 20, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and verse 6. This is what he prayed. I, I've got to read this to you because this is so significant to what happened. He said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and you gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in it, and they've never built it, built in it a sanctuary for your name, and said, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or famine or plague, we're going to stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us, and you will save us. He says, but now there's some men coming from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you wouldn't allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. 
So they turned away from them and didn't destroy them. Now see how they're repairing, repaying us by coming to try to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance. He says, we don't have any power. We don't have power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Oh, that's the key. When you don't know what to do, get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on God. And it says all the men of Judah, all their wives, their children, their little ones, they all stood before the Lord. And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon a man called Jehaziel. And he began to speak and he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, it's God's. Hallelujah. He says, tomorrow, you march down against them. They're going to be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you're going to find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You don't have to fight this battle. You just take your positions, stand firm, and see the salvation and the deliverance that the Lord will give you. Oh, Judah and Jerusalem, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. You go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So you know what Jehoshaphat did? I love this. Now, here's the difference between him and the Israelites when they left Egypt. He bowed his face on the ground, and all the people were on the ground worshiping the Lord. And then he appointed men to stand up and to begin to sing. And they began to praise the Lord and shout before the Lord. And then early the next morning, they left for the desert. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood again. He said, now listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. You have faith in the Lord, your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets prophets and you will be successful let me tell you something if you'll listen to the prophet if you'll listen to the man or woman of God you will be successful you'll find God will turn your situation around but you have to have an ear to listen then after consulting the people Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him in the splendor of his holiness as they marched as they went out, the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. And they began to praise. And as they began to praise, I love this part right here, because you're going to see what God did for us. The Lord set ambushes against the, Mount, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. And they were defeated. They were defeated. They began fighting against each other till they were all dead. Then here comes the men of Judah. They're looking down in the gorge. Everybody, not a single soul is alive. They all killed each other. Confusion came into the camp. Oh, what did they do? They returned praising the Lord. Praised him before the miracle and praised him after the miracle. Hallelujah. Woo! And it says there was peace and rest on every hand after that. Now, go back to the story. So I'm sitting there, and I'm reading this with, with, with this woman who's teaching this story. And God just, like, brings me in this little bubble, me and him. I didn't hear another word she said after that. And he began to speak to me, and he said, now, he said, you go, you go back home. You change your song set for Sunday night. I know you've already practiced. You change the list. 
and you go back and you get every praise song, you get every shout song, and I want you to go back and I want you to read this story of what happened to King Jehoshaphat to the people. Then you begin to praise. And when you begin to praise and shout before the Lord, he says, I'm going to set ambushes against the city. He says, and they're going to change their mind and they're going to vote for you. And you're going to bring a victory. Now, I had a decision to make in that moment. Am I going to obey God? Or am I going to go home and I'm going to let my shyness overtake me? Is Bishop going to think I'm nuts? You know? What are they going to think if I do this? I said, you know what, God? I'm going to do what you called me to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then God said this. God said this. He says, now, when you finish singing and praising, this is what you're to tell them. You tell them to come to the city, which was in a, on, a, on a different road in Margate. He said, you go to the city tomorrow night on Monday night. Everybody go. Do not do anything. Do not talk to your neighbor. You get out of your cars and you begin to stand there. Big group of people, you stand there and you pray. Don't say a word, but pray. When I arrived with my husband and we got out of the car, you could hear a pin drop. They were obedient. They had shouted the night before and praised. Now they were praying. You could, I mean, I couldn't believe it. There must have been over 100, 150 people there. Now they all couldn't get into this place, right? But um, I walked into the door and we sat down. I never forget, I was crossing my arms. I go, okay, God. I did my part, now you do yours. And you know what happened? They called my brother-in-law up to say something. Before he could even say anything, all the, all the commissioners were looking at each other, and one of them stood up. He said, now, I was against this church. He said, and, uh, I did not plan to vote for this, but, and at the but, I'm like, okay, here it comes. He said, this is why I've changed my mind, and I'm going to vote for this church. And all of a sudden, confusion came into the camp with the rest of the commissioners and the mayor, and they all voted for us. They changed their minds and voted, and we, we got a great victory that day. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, quickly, I know we're running late. Sean, don't get antsy. I'm running, I know I'm running late. He's like, when's she going to quit? Are you getting something out of this? Okay. I want God to bring deliverance. I don't care if we have to go over or not. I'm sorry. I, I got a word, and I got to bring this. Okay, now listen, listen, listen. Okay. So, after that, we're going to fast forward 40-some years, okay? I was invited to speak, in, speak at, a, at a women's tea. It was, out of, uh, their theme was, I will arise from the story about Deborah and how Deborah was a prophetess and she was a warrior and she was a, a mother and a judge and all kinds of things that she was in the, judge, in the book of Judges. And so I, I thought, oh, I'm going to teach on this. And then the Lord brought me to the story of Jehoshaphat. I mean, I just went back in my mind thinking about it. So as I was studying, preparing, my husband and I, we had been leasing a place and we decided to go down by the you know, look at the ocean, and I bring my Bible down and all my books, and we're going to, you know, I wanted to study. He get, puts his AirPods on, 
No, wait, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me go back because I don't want to forget this. This is really important. Two years ago, before, before I went to this last year and did this tea, two years ago, um, we had Bishop's 50th. Remember? Pastor Appreciation, we had his 50th? Yeah. Okay, and it was, it, was, it was our Pastor Appreciation, but it was celebrating his 50 years of ministry. And um, now things have changed with us and with the city. They saw that we're no longer a fly-by-night church. They saw that we're here to stay. That we, that we love our city and that we want to help our city. And we have. We've reached out to the policemen, the firemen, the, the officials. I mean, we've become friends and we've loved them. And we loved uh, uh, Tommy Rosano, our mayor, and, 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 and Arlene Schwartz and some of the others that have been commissioners. Whether we always agree on everything or not didn't matter. But the thing is, is that we have a different rapport. And so it came to Bishop's 50th, and Jenya asked me to do this rap song. Well, she didn't ask me to do a rap song, but she asked me to sing. And, and I'd sing a song about my husband's 50 years. Well, how do you, how do you sing a song about his 50 years of, of ministry? So I made it into a rap song. And I remember when I got done, I looked over. <laughs> yeah. And I remember when I got done, I, look, I looked over at, at, at Mayor Tommy and, and them, and they were, they were getting such a kick out of that after we did the song. Well, I went and sat down in my seat. And after that, they introduced him and Arlene Schwartz, the commissioner, to come up here and to honor my husband. Well, we both came up, right? And uh, so they gave him a plaque. And it was beautiful that they had made for him. Now, I want you to see for one minute what happened right after that. We're going to watch this. Because my city, there's only so much that I can do setting, and I don't want to get into the politics of it, but what people can and can't do, and it's just awesome to see this house packed, and I love it. Now, this one, I've been in commission for eight years. I've only gave away three of these, and you're not going to get this. I'm going to give it to her. <laughs> I'm going to give this to the rapper. It is gold. It's not a chain. It's not a chain, but this is a key to the city, to Pastor Kathy. Congratulations. That is your key. Our city is your city. Thank you guys very much. God bless. And thank you. Hallelujah. What a great day that was. You know, and as I'm studying, let's... Let's go back to the, we're going to fast forward up to, to May of 2021. I'm sitting there down by the beach. My husband's got his little AirPods in his ears, and he's bebopping to his music, got his eyes closed, and I got my Bible out, and I was studying, and, and I started thinking about the story of Jehoshaphat. God brought that to memory to, to share that with the ladies. And all of a sudden, I heard his voice. He said to me, he said, I saw the misery your church was going through 40 years ago. I heard the cries of the people. 
I was concerned about your church. I came to rescue them that night, but I couldn't have done it unless you hadn't been obedient. And he said, I want you to know something. Not only did I bring victory for your church, but I remembered you. I remembered you. 40 years later, God remembered me. I'm not the one who goes to the city. to me he said the mayor doesn't even really understand why he gave that to you because I couldn't figure it out I said why did he give that to me that belongs to him he's the one that goes before the city all the time but God said no he doesn't understand why he gave it to you but it wasn't him it was me I gave it to you and I'm letting you know that I remembered you 40 years later for your obedience obedience is better than sacrifice I was so humbled when God said that. I sat there and wept as he's still bebopping to his music. He's not paying attention, and to this day, he doesn't even know what I'm telling you now. I never told him. I'm telling you. He asked me the other day, what are you going to preach? I said, you'll have to watch it. <laughs> but I'm honored that God would remember me. But I want you to know I'm not, he's not a respecter of persons and what he did for me, he'll do for you. He'll remember you. He'll remember you if you're obedient to God. He'll remember you. Thank you for listening. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live the abundant life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website, AbundantLife.tv or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you.